Insights and wisdom lie within every business decision. Welcome to the Leaders by Ivy podcast, where we discover hidden narratives and unlock key learnings for our own leadership and career journeys. Hey, welcome to our second episode. I'm Matt Quinn. Today's guest is Mark Whitmore. Mark is founder and CEO of the Great Canadian Hops Company, which is a family-owned agricultural business that grows hops for Canadian and global craft beer producers. Mark discusses his journey from the boardroom to farmer's field, the importance of supporting local economies, and appreciating the contributions of rural communities in Canada. Mark is a graduate of Ivy's MBA program, class of 1991. Today, he joins us from Turkey Point in southwestern Ontario. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Uh, Let's start with a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what's your relation to Ivy. Great, thanks, Matt, and, and thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast. So, um, you know, I went to Ivy uh, and graduated from the MBA program in 1991. Um, I graduated and went out to work for Deloitte. And we'll come back to that in a sec. But I uh, I married Patty in 1995. So this year was our 25th uh, anniversary. So that was special. And we have uh, three kids. Uh, Grant just finished first year at Ivy. Uh, Erica just finished first year engineering at Western and also has uh, Ivy AEO status. And Elaine just graduated uh, from high school and is accepted to go to medical sciences at Western and uh, also has AEO status at Ivy. So there's a chance that we could be three for three with our kids at uh, Ivy if they all follow through with it. I, um, I worked at Deloitte for 33 years. I was a partner in the consulting practice. And I left there a year ago to start up a family business focused on agriculture and food processing. And our, our main focus was, first of all, was on the farm. And we grow uh, hops for the craft beer industry. We grow hazelnuts uh, for the confectionery business. And we grow hay for livestock. And we closed our next deal, uh, which we bought Dennis's Horseradish, which is a manufacturer of uh, prepared horseradish. Over the last couple of months, obviously, we've been going through a lot of disruption. What has been the biggest challenge for you? And have there been some different different challenges between the hazelnut and the hops? What have you noticed as far as challenges and changes? There's a whole bunch of challenges in agriculture. First of all, agriculture was deemed essential. So we were fortunate that way that we were able to keep working uh, through uh, through the situation. Um, but you know, broadly, there'd be you know a number of challenges, and, and I can think of three. So fir- first of all, was a disruption with the uh, the sales channels. So people would know about the issues with dairy and potatoes and how they were disrupted. And certainly, there are a number of other sectors. You know, for us, the disruption is with the craft beer uh, brewing industry. A lot of them were switching their production to be sold through their own tap rooms in addition to uh, bars and restaurants and LCBO and on online and all the top rooms were shut down. And so that was a huge issue for all of them. And, and, and so that's going to impact the hop sales when it comes to, uh, to selling the, the next set of crop. Next issue would be around labor in particular here in Norfolk County, where we farm, uh, we, gr- we produce a lot of produce and that requires offshore labor. And that's been a significant issue on a number of, of fronts. You know, fortunately for us in horse radish, we partnered with a smaller producer who had, um, had their offshore already here, uh, the Medex farm based out of uh, Teeterville. And so we were fortunate with that, but there's other growers around here like uh, the Cibalux and the Prosex and the Chabateurs who got like one third to one half of the workforce. And so that's kind of a downstream impact on the produce that'll be available. And then the, the final issue would be around supplies. It, it hasn't been as big of an issue or concern as it was at the start of the challenge, but in hops, a, a key 
a component for us is what's called coconut core. And it's a string made from a natural product. It's a, it's a waste byproduct from coconut processing. But that product comes out of Sri Lanka and India. And so there were a lot of concerns about those, particularly India. It was very disrupted uh, uh, channel. Uh, we were fortunate enough that we, we purchased all of our supplies a year in advance so that even when the, 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 the crisis hit, you know, we were able to, to work through it. But what a lot of people may not appreciate with agriculture, unlike other industries, is that there's a very narrow window. And if you miss it, you miss it for the whole year. So, you know, unlike car manufacturing, you know, if we shut down for April and May and we start up again in June, you know, it's unfortunate, but we can start up again. That's not the case in agriculture. If we had missed that window in hops, it's a, and it's a two-week window, and that's it. If you miss it, then you lose the crop for the whole year and you can't say I'll start again in August or start again in November. Like you're done until, until the next year. So it's a narrow window and it's critical and we were fortunate we were able to, uh, to work through it. Can you think of some other things that looking forward, you hope that the industry keeps or that you're going to keep some learnings to, uh, again, insulate yourself from other challenges or ensure that the industry evolves? I think for me, one of the biggest lessons learned, and it, it's applicable to agriculture and food processing, but I think it's true for a lot of industries, is the whole concept of business model diversity, right? And you know, so I've been in business now, you know, whatever you call it, 45 years of my life, and we've had what we've called two black swan events in the last 12 years. You know, we had the 2008 financial crisis, we had this thing in 2020 guess what, there's going to be another one in, who knows, eight to 10 years time. And when we think back to, to 2008, we think about to this one, you know, companies that had diversity in supply chains and customer segments and in sales channels and a number of things, that's what's going to help you get through these black swan events. So I look at uh, companies and you know, particularly go back to my, uh, you know, my particular area, when I look at craft brewers who are our main customers and they only had one uh, sales channel, which is their tap room, like they're done, they're shut down, right? And it's very difficult now to try to get into the LCBO. And when we look at our specific business, uh, one of the things that we were thinking about over the last year, but I wouldn't say we put a lot of attention to it, is the home brewer segment. And that's been interesting to watch that uh, develop over the last four or five months as people have been, been at home, you know, pulling out the old homebrew kits and thinking about how to get supplies. It's a very different segment for us. But, but again, it gives us diversity in addition to the craft brewers who I'm confident will come back. But we also need to diversify into the homebrewer segment because it gives us a different um, uh, way to, to, uh, to push our product. So you've mentioned uh, homebrew. You've talked about the craft brewers. Can you think of other uh, industries or other businesses that have done a really good job of this, of diversifying where you could go? Maybe the listener could look at to get some inspiration from, uh, along with those brewers in the homebrew industries. Yeah, you know, a, a guy that I would really uh, call out, one of my suppliers would be uh, uh, Tony Gang out of Superior Glove. They're a second generation family business that manufactures gloves uh, for a number of industries. And uh, they supplied gloves for us, for the agriculture industry, they supplied gloves for, for automotive. And it's been interesting to watch them, I would almost call it a, a bit of a pivot, right? And so they, they, they had to, with the automotive, a lot of the automotive guys shutting down, you know, they had to ask themselves, you know, what can we do? And they look at their business and go, well, innovation is a key part of ours. We've got a manufacturing base. You know, how do we uh, diversify into other things? So they, they pivoted and started making uh, face shields, uh, face masks. Uh, hand sanitizers, which they're selling to a lot of their, their customer base, but also some new base as well too. 
But again, it's, and I think this is one of the things that Tony's going to acknowledge is that, you know, being singularly focused on, on gloves was good and, and that, but now having other products in their product line as automotive comes back, as other comes back, I think they're going to continue to do face shields and face masks and hand sanitizers in addition to gloves and that. But I was really impressed with Tony and, and how his, his, uh, uh, you know, team pivoted so quickly and had uh, new products in the marketplace that quickly. Yeah, it sounds like he and his team were not only able to pivot, but willing to and, and have that mindset of willing to try out some new things, experiment, maybe fail in a few, which I've seen businesses will, willing to fail and, and trying to have that mindset. Yeah, but that was always you know, a key part of their culture. When, when you talk to Tony and he asked about his, his values, uh, innovation is one of them. And they, they pride themselves because the glove industry is a very tough industry there's a lot of a lot of commodity uh gloves and they focus on specialty gloves very niche uh protective gear uh for very you know, specific things so like you know chicken processing handling and uh air 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 gun nailer protection type stuff and and so they they draw it upon that uh that innovation culture to say okay how can we quickly pivot into making face shields which they've never done before so that's an important part of their culture is innovation one thing that you touched upon earlier is, you know, you're, you're doing the call from Turkey Point. And for those of you that aren't familiar with where Turkey Point is, Google it, check it out down along the uh, down along the lake there. Uh, we've talked about how this is impacting industry and businesses. How have you noticed it impacting the community? Uh, because there's a very strong sense of community there. Um, what have you noticed? Uh, people pulling together, what are some initiatives that they're doing? I think it's interesting to also hear about what's happening in the small towns and, and the community. Yeah, without a doubt, it, it, it would impact uh, the farm community and the small towns around us just as much as it would in, in, in the big cities. I think the, um, you know, we, we see the lineups at the stores, you know, we see the shortages of the products. Uh, what you would also notice too, though, is that I mean there is a strong sense of community. So you see a lot of signs and support and, and, and so on for that. But but in some ways too, because a big part of our community has been deemed essential, right? Like there's a lot of um, uh, you know a lot of a high percentage of the people either work in, in the agriculture industry or work in the food processing industry, and there's a fair number of people that commute to be part of the healthcare sector. So in some ways, it's been heads down for a lot of people that way, and, and not as disruptive. A little bit more so if you're in the heavier manufacturing like uh, uh, like automotive. But you know, again, down here in Norfolk or, or nearby in Haldeman, a lot of agriculture. Uh, there's a refinery here as well too that in a steel mill that had to keep going. So and so in some ways, it's been heads down and keep uh, keep going that way. Do you have something you'd like to share with the audience or an ask that you'd like our listeners to go and do or check out an initiative that you're passionate about or uh, really supporting as an individual or as a family? Yeah, and that's a, that's, that's a great question. And so this would be the, the topic that I would like uh, you know, people to pay attention to. There's been a lot of discussion of late around the topic of self-sufficiency for Canada and particularly in, in the area of, of, of uh, healthcare and healthcare supplies. So we think about all the, 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 the masks and the ventilators and the syringes that we're having to bring into the country. And there's a level of concern about, you know, are we too dependent on other countries for that? You know, I would argue that that same conversation has to happen in agriculture and food processing. Um, a couple of facts for you. So Canada imports 30% of the food that it consumes. And that number has doubled in the last 15 years. Uh, the second is that we are a net importer of food products into this country. So those are a couple of concerning facts, particularly in a time when global supply chains are strained and, and at risk. 
Now, as, as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of uh, Canadian agriculture and, and food processing and believe that we can be successful. But Canada really needs uh, growth-oriented companies and particularly growth-oriented companies that can be successful on, on a global scale. And we need them to, to create jobs, to uh, support our communities, to pay taxes so we can pay for the, the healthcare and the education, the infrastructure that we all need as Canadians. And, and I think that the Made in Canada brand uh, offers Canadian agriculture and food processors that opportunity to be able to compete and succeed at a global level. What's really changed in the pandemic in my mind, though, is that this whole topic has evolved from an economic opportunity to an economic opportunity and a risk factor. You know, Canada's food, uh, food supply chain, we cannot take that for granted, you know, and, it, and, it, and we got to make sure that it doesn't get uh, uh, compromised. And so I think as we think about self-sufficiency, I think we also have to think about Canadian agriculture and food processing so that we can continue in times of crisis like this to be able to produce the food that Canadians need. And like you said, so many of them have been deemed essential. So there's there's opportunity there. But then you've mentioned some of the risk factors about supply chain, uh, employees coming in to help harvest, et cetera, in that short window that you talked about. So uh, are there places where the audience can go to learn more about the industry, about the, the Canadian industry, to just get up to speed on it if they're maybe not as familiar with the industry? Where do you go? Well, I, I walk out my door and, uh, and uh, I go into the fields and check it out. But, you know, so for example, a real, real, real kind of fun one that I have is uh, Charlottesville Brewing. And they're based uh, just, uh, oh, you know, two concessions away. I don't know sure how far that is away from me. But uh, Tim and Melanie, you know, they, they were, had, had set up a tap room. And when that got shut down, they quickly converted to online. And, and, and I think there's, there's thousands of stories like that of, of uh, small craft brewers and small food processors and, and small farm operations that have to go online. So it wouldn't be difficult for people to Google and to look up local. Uh, local is important uh, because one of the things that people have to appreciate, too, with agriculture and food processing is that it, it's a long lead time. Right. So, for example, in hops, I can't just say I want to be in hops next year and all of hops next year. It takes a year to put up your infrastructure, a year to put your plants in. It takes three to four years for the for the for the plants to mature to be able to produce a crop. And same with hazelnuts. It takes five, six years before you get your first crop. So if we want to have you know, a Canadian uh, food source, if we want to have Canadian craft brewers, you got to support them today because it takes a long lead time. And you can't just say, OK, we're going to start making masks tomorrow. You know, like Tony was fortunate. He had a great team and was able to start doing it. But if somebody came to me today and said, Mark, I need to start growing asparagus, I would say it's going to take me two, three years before I have the infrastructure in place. I have the water in place. I have the workforce in place. I have the, the root in place. And so that's why it's important to support Canadian food and agriculture now so that when we need it next year and the year after and the year after, it's all there ready to support Canadians. That's great. And Tim does a great job with the brewing company, uh, with his social media. Uh, I've had a chance to meet him and work with him before. And it's interesting to watch how uh, they're diversifying their communications with great stories, interesting videos and pictures that show that process of getting ready uh, to brew the whole uh, in industry and what they've set up at the farm is really cool to, to follow and to watch. So for the listeners, go and check that out on Facebook. Uh, they do a really nice job of telling the story. Mark, you've talked about the changes in, in industry and you've talked about the changes you've seen uh, on your farm. Talk a little bit more about the change that you went through from going from the boardroom uh, to the farm what were some key 
uh, skills that you used to, to make that change easier? Or were there, or was it easy? Was it an easy transition? What did you find? Well, in, in some ways, this is a, a transition that I've been planning for probably 30 years. In fact, it was a reason I went back to Ivy because uh, I'd always wanted to have my own business. It, I didn't know necessarily that it was going to be in agriculture and food, but uh, you know, over the years, uh, when I was at Deloitte, uh, luckily towards the end of my career, I, I was able to work with a lot of private clients and saw family businesses and, and saw the fun that they were having. And, and, and also, too, the, 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 the commitment to, to Canada uh, and the contribution that small businesses and family businesses uh, made. So you know, towards the tail end of my career at Deloitte, you know, I kind of had an idea of this is the direction I wanted to go. And it took me a while to kind of get my head around farming and, and around food processing and would be, these be the places I wanted to do it. But I really wanted to do something that I could um, think about the next generation for my kids. And I wanted to get into a family business. And I thought food processing was another one that ticked the box on something that would allow us to compete on a global level. And I, what my dream would be that in 10 years time after my kids have gone to school for five years, and have worked for somebody else for five years, that one or all of them will come back to family business and say, you know, this is something that where I think I can contribute to uh, to society and, and build something with. So, you know, I, I didn't have that opportunity as a kid. I went right from from university into the corporate world, and I don't regret it. It was it was it was fun, uh, but I also really love what I'm doing today. I mean, I really am passionate about uh, about agriculture, passionate about food processing, passionate about Canada, and so I couldn't be in a better place. And I think back to your point around you know Ivy. Again, I just go back to you know the general you know leadership skills, the the diversity of of the cases that we work through, because you know I'm having to do stuff that I wouldn't have done you know even like two years ago. So for example, something as small as um, you know I've got to do I got to prepare thirty motors every year, right? And so every winter I'm I'm up to my elbows in oil and grease and and wrapping my knuckles because you know the wrench slipped and stuff like that and but that's fun, right? It's something different. It's a new skill and, and it's something I, I probably should have learned when I was 18 and 19, but didn't. But what Ivy teaches you is it teaches you the confidence to get into a new area. And so you can figure it out. Now, a little secret these days is YouTube. Holy smokes, man. If you want to learn anything about oil changes or part changes, you can go to YouTube these days. So it's a lot easier, but it's still, it's the confidence, the ability to say, you know what, I've got to change out you know, that electrode on, on my uh, sprayer. So go to YouTube, look at it, watch him do it. And say, okay, fine. Now I'm going to rip it apart and, and, and change it. And you do it. Right. So uh, again, I'm pulling on my IV experience uh, every day. I wondered, you know, given your experience with IV uh, a number of years ago, and then seeing your kids go through it, has there been anything that you've been really uh, interested in or a change at the school or an evolution that you've gone, that's really cool. I like that. Or, wow, what a difference. Or have there been themes that have stayed consistent over the years? I just think it's interesting to get that uh, that, that bit of a change of what you're witnessing from your perspective. Yeah, I, I would give you uh, two things that haven't changed and one thing that will change. So, you know, what hasn't changed is Ivy's focus on general leadership and general management, right? So it's not just honed in on finance or honed in on one particular area. And I think that's, uh, you know, selfishly for me, that's been very helpful as, you know, as I've pivoted from from Deloitte now to, to farming and then went and bought Dennis, you know, I'm, I'm having to look at all aspects of those uh, of those businesses. And so having a, a general uh, background from my view was very helpful that way. Um, the case methodology that hasn't changed and it can't change. I mean, that is absolutely critical uh, that's the reason I went back to Ivy. That's why a lot of people go to Ivy. And it just reinforces it's as close as you can get 
to um, to you know being in real uh, business situations. But what anyway, I was a change junkie. You guys are all change junkies. We like to change all the time. So it was nice to change with every case, new industry, new challenges, new geographies, and all that kind of stuff. But you know that that change and diversity a diversity of uh, of cases really helps you as a leader grow and, and get a broad set of exposure. So that that I don't think is going to change. I think what it, of course is going to change is the whole online component. And I, I think this is not unique to Ivy or it's going to be in the whole uh, higher ed. In fact, all education is, you know, how do we shift from a very in-person, hands-on experience to still getting that rich uh, aspect? And I think, you know, when I think back to my time at Ivy, you know, the classroom was a big component of it. But there's other things that were quite in, in, you know, helpful in my development. So things like field trips things like uh, clubs, things like uh, guest speakers. So, you know, some of them we could pivot to an online. So it's, you know, you can in fact do more speakers. Um, but, you know, same things like the clubs and stuff like that. You know, that's, that'll be interesting to see how we work through that. So without a doubt, that's going to be a big change for Ivy, but I'm confident that Ivy's going to, uh, to tackle it head on and find a way to, to work through it. As we look to wrap up here today, anywhere else that you'd like to have the listeners go and check out or businesses to support uh, or any final thoughts that you'd like to, to leave or, or calls to action for the audience? Yeah, the, the, the final call I would just make is just about you know supporting local. It's very easy to do no matter where you live, whether you live in Toronto or you live in, in, in Turkey Point. You know, when you go into a grocery store, it, you have choices to make and those choices have a downstream impact on the Canadian um, agriculture and food processing industry. So you'll make your choices, you know, look for, look for products that are, are, are grown in Canada, that are made in Canada. It's very easy to do. And, and that's gonna have a long-term support for all of us uh, going, uh, going downstream. Thanks to Mark Whitmore, MBA 91, for joining us on the Leaders by Ivy podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us next time when we speak with Ian Rosen, HBA 11 from Harry Rosen Incorporated. Like what you heard on today's episode? Subscribe to the Leaders by Ivy podcast. Have any feedback? Send us an email at podcast at ivy.ca. Until then, be well. Be well.